Good morning, brethren, and thank you for tuning in. I hope this video finds that you and your families are doing well. I'm well aware that there could be some tuning in who are not members of our local congregation, the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. Welcome to our study this morning. As you can see on this screen, when we assemble, we meet at 2091 Pitts Lane in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And when we assemble, we meet for Bible study on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Wednesday evenings at 7. We invite you to join us for those as well as our worship services on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. You may have noticed that I use the phrase, when we assemble, a couple of times. During the current crisis, members are not assembling at the building until further notice. And anyone can check out our website at www.godsredeemed.org to get the latest information on that. My name is David Creech, and for the second quarter of this year, April through June, uh, I was scheduled to teach the adult class in the auditorium, and my assigned material was the Book of Acts. And actually, my assignment is the first 12 chapters of the Book of Acts for this quarter. So go ahead and be opening your Bibles to the New Testament Book of Acts. Even though this class was originally scheduled for the adults, I know that some of my viewers may include some from the younger classes, so I'll try to keep that in mind as we move along. There may also be some who are watching today who are new to the Bible. Well, if that describes you, then the book of Acts is the fifth chapter in, uh, excuse me, the fifth book in the New Testament. The, the front of your Bible should contain a table of contents. Uh, you can open there and see that our Bibles are roughly divided into two sections. The first section is the Old Testament, and the second section is the New Testament. And again, the book of Acts falls right there after the first four books of the New Testament, which are also known as the Gospels. The Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, which we will make mention of uh, several times in this class, and the Gospel according to John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. <clears throat> uh, what I want you to do, first of all, is look at the heading in your Bible for this book. You can see that, that mine says um, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, by the way, in case you're wondering, uh, I'm using the Olive Tree Bible Study software. Olive Tree Bible Study software. <clears throat> so I have a New King James Version. So depending on your particular translation, um, perhaps even the, the printing, the particular printing of your particular translation, you, you may see the title of this book in a number of different ways. Uh, either the Acts of the Apostles, like I have here, or... Uh, if you have a very old Wycliffe Bible, or if you're like me and you have a copy of it in electronic format, it says uh, the deeds of the apostles. And, uh, and by the way, um, John Wycliffe was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church in the early 1300s. Uh, that would be the 14th century. He was also a professor at Oxford University. Uh, he advocated that the Bible should be translated into the vernacular, that is, the common language 
of the people. Imagine that. Uh, you realize there was a time when the common people, the ordinary churchgoer like you or I, did not have access to the Bible like we do today. And, and even if they could get access to it, they couldn't read it. And at that time, the Roman Catholic Church used the Latin Vulgate. It was up to the Catholic Church to read the Word of God to the masses in Latin and then tell them what it meant. So we are so blessed today. D despite all the things going on around us, we have the Word of God translated into our own language. Uh, we can even choose from a number of different translations. And, and even as many of us are isolating ourselves as much as we can from the world around us, from this scourge they call COVID-19, we can still pick up our Bibles, read it, study it, and know what God wants from us without having to depend on someone else to do that, to read it to us and tell us what it means. Of course, the Catholic Church disagreed with John Wycliffe about that, but Wycliffe translated it anyway, from the Latin into what we would call Middle English. Now, to kind of finish this story, uh, Wycliffe was declared a heretic. He was excommunicated. The Catholic Church either seized or, or bought up as many of his Bibles as they could find, and they made a, a huge bonfire out of them. And after his death, the Catholic Church dug up his bones, burned them, and spread his ashes over the river Swift. And you see, back in those days, the Catholic Church taught that if your body was cremated, and, and particularly if the ashes were not contained within a sort of you know, sealed container, then you could not participate in the resurrection. I guess the thought was that if your body was scattered in a million different directions, that God himself wouldn't be able to put you back together again. Uh, of course, that's not true, and I don't even think the Catholic Church teaches that today. But back in those days, having your body, your bones, burned, and then the ashes scattered was the worst sort of condemnation one could receive. And so pardon the detour down history lane about John Wycliffe. I find that sort of thing just fascinating, and, and I thought you might as well. So Wycliffe's Bible would say, deeds of the apostles. And I, I'll not try to translate or pronounce that you see on the slide there from, from Middle English, but the deeds of the apostles. And more often than not, the title in your Bible may simply be the abbreviated name Acts. Now most of us have been around the Bible and, and, and Bible studies uh, long enough to have heard the phrase Acts of the Apostles. And we can so easily just take it for granted. We know, or at least we have a broad idea of what the book is about. But as I was preparing this lesson, I was thinking, what if someone watching or listening today has never heard that phrase before? And, and they open up their New Testament to the beginning of this book, and the title is simply Acts. What would such a person think about the contents of this book? Uh, in a case like that, we can easily see where someone might be sort of left in the dark about what this book is all about. And I mean, let's face it, uh, Acts is not a very descriptive title, is it? Uh, and the word act can, you know, it has different meanings, doesn't it? An act can be the process of doing something. Is this book about some people doing some things? 
Uh, an act can be a formal decision or law. For instance, an act of Congress. So one could wonder, is this book about the church making formal decisions or laws? Uh, an act can be the main division of a play. For instance, Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 1. So again, someone might wonder, is this book like a play where actors walk onto the stage and the story sort of unfolds before our eyes, before they eventually walk off? <clears throat> An act can be a false show, a pretense. For instance, someone might say that a politician's remarks were all an act in order to secure votes. Uh, is this book about false pretenses on the part of some people? In the early church. <clears throat> and I have a couple of examples of how we can say something about the book of Acts and someone else can completely misunderstand what we said. Uh, this first one is a personal example. When, when Linda and I were stationed in Panama with the army in the late 90s, we had Aaron and Brian with us of course and we met with a small group there Aaron would have been about eight years old, Brian about five years old. The group was small enough that all we had was one Bible class. Uh, everyone, young and old, was in this one class. I remember teaching there on one occasion, and as some of you know, I like to ask a lot of questions. And one of my questions was, you know, the book of Acts can also be referred to as the book of what? Well, <clears throat> Both Aaron and Brian were always eager to answer these questions when they could, you know, kind of show up the adults in the class. And on this particular question, Aaron shot up her hand and blurted out with all the enthusiasm an eight-year-old can muster and said, the book of virgins. As you can imagine, there was uh, first this long, awkward Silence, <laughs> followed by uncontrollable laughter. Uh, once we realized what she said and why she probably said it. Poor Erin, though, so proud of her answer, but with a look of complete surprise on her face uh, after we started laughing about that answer. But what you may not realize is that we'd previously discussed the book of Acts as the book of conversions. Because it is absolutely filled with examples of people being converted. And incidentally, a lot of people today teach a lot of different things about what a person must do to be saved. What they must do in order to be converted. Not everyone can be right, can they? If not everyone is right, then someone must be wrong. That's the kind of thing we don't want to get wrong. Wouldn't it be nice... We could just open up our Bibles. We could read and understand what the men and women of the first century did to be saved. And we could do the exact same thing they did and be confident that we are just as saved as they were. So more on that later. That's just sort of whet your appetite there. Back to my story. <clears throat> Apparently every time we talked about the book of Acts being the book of conversions... What Aaron heard was that it was the book of virgins. And, and the second, second example I have is this. Uh, let me just say that, that I read once upon a time 
about some primary school children who were being tested on their knowledge of the Bible. Um, it might have been a, a Christian school, I don't know, some kind of research someone was doing, not sure. But anyway, the, the, the children, um, oops, the children were asked to write down what they knew about the Acts of the Apostles. And apparently more than one child wrote down that the Acts of the Apostles is what Samson used to slay the Philistines. So, so we're talking about the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the Apostles, and what they heard was the Acts, A-X, of the Apostles. And although we might find both those stories a little humorous, it just shows how a single word, Acts, or a single phrase like Acts of the Apostles or the Book of Conversion can mean different things to different people. And for some, well, it might not mean anything at all. So when we talk about the Acts of the Apostles, we are in fact talking about the deeds of the Apostles. You know, I like John Wycliffe's translation from the original Greek. And it's just as important for us to know that this book does not capture all of the deeds. It doesn't capture all of the Acts of all of the Apostles. It doesn't even capture all of the Acts of some of the Apostles. But instead, it captures some of the acts of some of the apostles, with a focus, really, on, on the acts of just a few of the apostles, in particular, two apostles by the name of Peter and Paul. In fact, the book of Acts can be roughly divided between these two men, with the first half of the book, you know, about 12 chapters anyway, uh, dealing primarily with the acts of Peter, and the second half of the book... That would be the remaining 16 chapters, um, dealing primarily with the Acts of Paul. And <clears throat> since we're doing a sort of overview of the book of Acts this week, I'll point out that the book can also be divided into three sections, three major sections. And these three sections exactly match the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So let's just kind of scroll down so you get a view of verse 8 there. There we go. Uh, before his ascension, Jesus said to his apostles, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And some translations say the, the uttermost parts or the remotest parts of the earth. The, the book does, in fact, start off with the church in Jerusalem. That's the first seven chapters. Uh, then we see a persecuted church spreading from Jerusalem out to the region around Jerusalem. That's Judea. And then uh, north to Samaria. That's chapters 8 through 12. And incidentally, much of that persecution came from a much feared man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And then, I mean, isn't the transformational message of Christ amazing? That same Saul of Tarsus who was pursuing Christians, dragging them from their homes and binding them and delivering them into prison, even persecuting them to the death, that same Saul of Tarsus was converted 
on the road to Damascus. His name would later be changed to Paul. <clears throat> and his missionary journeys took the church to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm going to show you kind of a map here. <clears throat> and let me uh, I'll blow this up a little bit. You know, so what an amazing story. I can't wait to get into it with you guys. Uh, but we see, as we mentioned here, Jerusalem, which is part of Judea. And then so it would spread out from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas in Judea. And then just north of Judea was this region called Samaria. And so we see that here. And then we would see um, Paul in Antioch of Syria. And we would see him in Cyprus. We would see him in in Antioch of Pisidia, in, in other cities of the Galatian region. Then we see him over in Macedonia. It would include Philippi and Thessalonica. We see him going down into Greece, Athens and Corinth. And then the cities of Asia, as it's labeled here, and, and we would call that Asia Minor today. And then later, all the way over to Rome in Italy. <clears throat> So again, what an amazing story. Uh, but for now, let's continue our uh, overview of the book of Acts. <clears throat> One of the next questions we might ask in a study like this is, you know, who wrote the book of Acts? Now, sometimes we ask that like it's a trick question or something. Yes, the Holy Spirit was the author of the book. As for all books of the Bible, I mean, let's uh, let's turn over to a very familiar passage in Second Timothy chapter three, and verse sixteen, where we see that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And there are other passages that talk about the Holy Spirit being the one to reveal the Word of God and to to bring all things to their remembrance and so forth. But the question here is, who actually? wrote it down. Who penned it? Well, I've already mentioned Luke a couple of times, even though, strangely enough, the writer of the book does not name himself. But there are a number of clues as to who it was. Uh, enough, in fact, that there's almost unanimous agreement that Luke was the writer. And, and that agreement comes from a world where it seems few people can agree about much of anything. <clears throat> so what are some of those clues? Well, we know that the book of Acts was also the writer of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, in the, the opening words of Acts, let's turn back over to Acts. <clears throat> uh, there in those opening words, we see the writer is writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. Uh, the writer talks about the former account that he'd written of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the inescapable conclusion here is that the writer of Acts is talking about a previous account he had written of Jesus' life. And that sounds like one of the Gospels, doesn't it? And which of the Gospels just happens to have been written to Theophilus? The Gospel according to Luke. <clears throat> Uh, of course, both books were written to the same person. Let's turn over to Acts, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, looking kind of at verse 3 there. Um, 
Luke refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. Let me kind of highlight that there for you. Most excellent Theophilus. So he was likely a person of some importance, uh, perhaps even a government official who at least took a, a keen interest in Christianity. Uh, the end of Luke dovetails nicely, perfectly, in fact, into the beginning of Acts. The style and language point to a single author. We, we know that Luke was a physician. Let's turn over to Colossians 4.14. So so Paul calls him not not just any physician, but a beloved physician. And also the choice of words used in both Luke and Acts suggests someone that was familiar with medical terminology. The the earliest church historians... um, some of them writing as early as the first century, credited Luke with being the author of both books. Uh, The accuracy of such beliefs uh, are heavily weighted in favor of those who were closest in time to the actual events. Let's also keep in mind that Luke was a friend and a constant traveling companion of Paul, which would have given him steady access not only to Paul, but to many other eyewitnesses throughout his journeys. Uh, we're going to see that there are many sections in Acts where Luke uses the word we, and it reads like a very detailed diary of what was going on and, and many of the things that he was personally experiencing and witnessing. And by the way, this is as good a place as any to point out that, that Luke was uh, a Gentile. I mean, if we, if we look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 and the following verses, <clears throat> uh, Paul does not name Luke as one of those who were among the circumcision. So that makes him the only Gentile writer of a book in the New Testament. So like we've already stated, there's almost unanimous agreement that Luke the physician was the author of both books, Luke and Acts. So what about the date of the book of Acts? So when was it written? Well, the best estimates for the date of the book are largely dependent on who actually wrote it. If it was Luke, as most believe, then his writing of the book of Acts was most likely sometime between Paul's initial imprisonment at Caesarea and some point before the persecution of the Roman emperor Nero began around A.D. 64. So best estimates are between A.D. 60 and 64, and some would narrow that down further and say between A.D. 60 and 62. Now, you know, why do we pick those particular dates? Well, the absence of any reference to the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, um, certainly a hugely historically important date, would, would point to a date for the book earlier than A.D. 70, and most likely earlier than A.D. 66, since that's marked the beginning of the Jewish-Roman War that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. Also, uh, the book paints a picture of Rome that is free of the fierce hostility toward Christians that marked the latter half of Nero's reign. And, and things really started to get bad for Christians around 
62 to 64. Um, um, bad for the Jews as well. <clears throat> um, finally, Luke records the death of James, a brother of John, in Acts 12, but does not mention the death of James, the brother of Jesus. Now, Josephus, who was a, just a Jewish historian, uh, claimed in his writings that James, the brother of Jesus, was executed by Nero in A.D. 62. So it's very likely that Acts was completed before A.D. 62. <clears throat> the time span for the book of Acts is roughly 32 years in 28 chapters. Uh, kind of a good way to remember that in nice round numbers. The Gospel of Luke covers you know, the birth of Christ to his death. That's roughly 30 years in round numbers. And the book of Acts covers the following 30 years. <clears throat> so somewhere between 60 and 65 years uh, for both of those books. This would be a good place to say something about the historical authenticity <clears throat> excuse me, of the book of Acts. You may have heard this before. A man by the name of Norman Geisler, he wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, he talks about a skeptic by the name of William Mitchell Ramsey, and this would have been in the early 1900s. He set out to disprove the Bible once and for all. And, you know, there have been a number of skeptics and atheists who, who set out to disprove the Bible and then ended up convincing themselves that the Bible was, in fact, the Word of God. But um, uh, th this man, William Ramsey, began his research where he thought there would be the greatest opportunity for success in his endeavor, and that was the book of Acts. Why? <clears throat> well, because the book of Acts is filled with details. Details like the names of cities and geographic and topographic references and events that were tied to known historical figures. The mention of trade routes, the titles of dignitaries, and I could go on and on. The point is, this man knew that the historical accuracy of the Bible doesn't prove inspiration of the Bible. <clears throat> but in order for the Bible to be inspired by God, it must be historically accurate. He knew that if he could discredit the historical accuracy of the Bible, he could destroy inspiration with it. <clears throat> and so this man initially spent 15 years going to all of those cities mentioned in Acts, and particularly the cities visited by Paul in the last 16 chapters. And you know what he found? He discovered fact after fact after fact that supported Luke's account. And his fellow skeptics weren't too happy with him when he uh, published a journal of his work stating that Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness. <clears throat> so we've talked a little bit already about content, but the book of Acts is literally a history of the church. It, it overlaps the scenes of the Gospels, showing the, the risen Christ commissioning his apostles for a worldwide task. You know, in Mark 16, verse 15, let's turn over to that. Uh, Jesus' final command was, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
preach the gospel to everyone. And we see similar language, of course, over in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Uh, we often call that the Great Commission, not only because of the greatness of the one who commissioned it, but because of the greatness of the scope to the whole world and the greatness of the message. And this was a message of salvation. Then we see the apostles in the book of Acts being enabled by the gift of the Holy Spirit to do just that. Uh, the book of Acts is often described as the story of how the Great Commission was carried out. And think about this. Luke's first account to Theophilus, that would have been the gospel according to Luke, included all that Jesus began to do and teach. We know that Jesus taught uh, turn over to Matthew 16 and verse 18. Uh, that Jesus taught that he would build future tents, his church. And then the second account of Luke to Theophilus, Acts, provides the historical documentation of the building of that promised church. So, Thank you for watching or, or listening, whichever the case may be. Tune in next week, and Lord willing, we'll finish up an overview of, of just the first 12 chapters of Acts and then drill down into Acts chapter 1.